Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. We have made you, O oh Adam a creature neither of heaven nor earth, neither mortal nor immortal, in order that you may, as the free and proud shaper of your own being, fashion yourself in the form you may prefer. It will be in your power to descend to the lower, brutish forms of life, or you will be able, through your own decision, to rise again to the superior orders whose life is divine. That is God talking to man in the oration of the dignity of man written in 1486 by the renaissance humanist giovanni pico della mirandola and it is also the way that the comic book writer grant morrison ends his book super gods a history of superheroes in which he says they represent our enduring thirst for the cosmic and the sacral now who better <laughs> who better to discuss this subject in the very week the new Spider-Man film comes out than our very own Tom Holland, still for my money, one of the top two Tom Holland. <laughs> Dominic, that is so kind of you. So, so kind of you. <laughs> so, Tom, you took a tiny bit of... Pers- I mean, come on, we've mentioned the sacral, but you took a tiny bit yeah, of persuasion have. to do this subject because the existence of Tom Holland is a running sore, isn't it, for you? Uh, well, I don't begrudge his existence, but I th- I think that um, I suppose what makes it ha-ha f- funny for people um, and ha-ha-ha, <laughs> people have been making jokes about it, ha-ha-ha-ha, <laughs> for at least, uh, seems like an eternity, is that I don't really know anything about superheroes. I mean, I, I, I know a bit because you've told me to read Grant Morrison's book and I realised reading it that occasionally I have stumbled across superheroes, but for some reason... Uh, they've never they were never part of my childhood particularly yeah uh and so i mean it's not an ideal way perhaps to start a podcast to say i don't really know anything about the subject um but you do i think you do i think you know more than you think uh, well um, I, I i agree i because reading grant morrison's book i realize actually i have come across them quite a lot but for instance i i've never read um a, a superhero comic all right well prepared I've to be never educated. read one Prepare to be educated. Uh, but before you do that, before we do that, Tom, the great news of the week, which we haven't talked about yet, the big news is the amazing response to the launch of uh, what I could see as the Avengers of the, of the history world or the, <laughs> the Justice X-Men. League. Yeah, well, the X-Men are mutants, so I don't know what that's the comparison oh, okay. I go for. I'm betraying my uh, ignorance uh, uh, Which is the Rest is History Club, the launch of the Rest is History Club. So thank you so much to everybody who have who signed up. Um, we're delighted to have you on board. To those of you who haven't signed up, 
Why? Why not? Well, there is that. <laughs> but of course, you'll still get your podcast as normal. Of course. Um, of course. So, and it is just six pounds a, a month, but I promise not to mention that again. But Tom, we've, uh, the thing that I've really, um, enjoyed is, is dipping into the Discord community. Yes. Which sounds very superhero. Yeah. Very Isn't superhero. It? Yeah. Uh, it's like Agents uh, of Shield. And it's uh, rather startling because I, I would not have put you down as someone who, um, was necessarily into dipping into, uh, Oh, things called the discord but it turns out to be your superpower yeah <laughs> you're really good at it you've obviously been bitten by a radioactive ant or something i have i have in exactly. the Cotswolds. so on the in the rest is history in the discord community you know they have a whole thread of people in the rest is history club who are from the midlands a mercian community um and um, and from east anglia i see there's an east anglia made one. a very a very rude uh, joke uh, about my uh well there was one guy who went on he said is there anyone here from east anglia and i said well if you've listened to our cia podcast you'll know that liam neeson will be along in a minute <laughs> Yes, very funny. So, um, so it's piling to me, um, my inability to do a Liam Neeson accent and the fact, ha 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 ha, that I share the name with the actor who plays Spider Man. Yeah, we should mention we've got what? bonus episodes coming up. Oh, yes, sorry. For, yes, uh, for our members. So, the bonus episodes will be out every week. And this week, so Wednesday, the 15th of December at 8, 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock British time. We're London doing our time. first live streamed show for Rest is History Club members, which is all about the 1960s. I Looking know. forward to that. A great, I certainly am. It's a great topic. It's a topic we're both very much interested in. You know a lot more about than I do, but I, I have views. Yeah, I know you which, have views. Which I know you'll, you'll look forward to hearing oh, about. I do. <laughs> so if you, if you can't make it and you're a Restless History Club member, you will get a chance to um, access it afterwards. Don't worry. If you're not a Restless History Club member, well, you won't, but I mean. You, but you could sign up between now and Wednesday. And good. then you get to hear it. Where so would you, you sign you, up, Tom? You'd go to restishistorypod.com. Very good. And All right. Good. Enough enough of the club promotion. Um, let's talk about superheroes. Do you have a question? I think you have a question that you'd like to ask. Uh, I do. It's from SO3 Clausewitz, uh, who uh, put it on the Discord. He did. Think, and he asked, what caused the sudden rise of superhero stories in the mid-20th century? And that's an absolutely banging question with which to kick the show off so my answer to that would be it's kind of um there's a kind of uh sort of almost like a boring logistical reason which is that in 1933 you have the launch of comic books so a man called max Gaines, um he i can't remember it's called something funnies um it's the first sort of comic book it's a way of using the printing presses it's cheap he initially they're reproducing it's it's cartoon strips from a, a four color printing process yeah so it's very uh, simple so it enables that kind of bright um, exactly the lurid colors that the we lurid colors so so it's I, I mean we keep coming to this that it's kind of technological innovations that then exactly. precipitate cultural exactly. processes of change but obviously there are cultural roots to the super aren't there longer roots so well yeah there's there's that we've had a lot of questions about that um so uh Pedida four on twitter did the romans think of mythical heroes the same way um yeah Diogo Morgado, our superheroes in modern mythology. Henry Midgley, do you think there's any genealogical link between the modern concept of superheroes and the Greek hero? Have we modernised Hercules and made him Spider-Man? Hazim, I mean, is modern superheroes morality and reluctance to take human life a symbol of Christian morality in contrast to the Norse sagas or Greek? All right. So Grant so Morrison, putting it in his book, basically. All, all in the context of he says mythology. super gods. He sees them as, um, he, he has that thing about the, the quote from Giovanni Pico della Mirandola about sort of man caught between the kind of base and the divine 
and this sort of this sort of humanistic kind of reaching for something beyond and all this kind of stuff. Now, you, I know that you don't really buy all that, do you? Amazingly, for once, Amazingly, you don't, don't see them. You don't <laughs> see them as Christian. I, I don't. I don't really think it's anything to do with Christianity, and, and you don't. It's anything that? to do with Greek myth or Norse myth or anything, anything like that. But okay, let me the counter argument though, Tom, mm. uh, which you need to dispel is um, you've got Thor, you've got a lot of sort of Greek and Roman influences. So Captain Marvel, when Captain Marvel is created, he's one of the, the first sort of superheroes in the 1940s or whatever. And um, there's a sort of, he gets his powers from Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury, which is- the Shazam. Country. Shazam, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, is that link not obvious there? Or do you think that's just complete window well, dressing and it's utterly contrived? Um, older listeners may remember that in the 70s, there was um, a, a TV show called Mr. Ben. And the plot of Very Mr. Ben show. was that uh, Mr. Ben wore a bowler hat. Uh, he'd walk along the street. He'd go into um, a fancy dress shop and the shopkeeper would magically appear and lend him a fancy dress outfit. And it might be uh, a Roman soldier or a caveman or a cowboy or whatever. Yeah. And Mr. Ben would go into the changing room and he'd put this outfit on and then he'd enter a kind of magical world where you know, if he'd put on the caveman show, there'd be dinosaurs. If he put the Romans on, he'd be you know, an ancient Rome or whatever. And so it would go on. I, I mean, I think that basically that's the level that superheroes operate on. Um, these are essentially, it seems to me, vigilante figures. Yeah, they're bred of the very specific circumstances of kind of um, American history, attitudes towards social history, attitudes towards policing, um, attitudes towards uh, the individual um, picking up arms to defend the American way of life. Mm -hmm. And basically, these are people who are cosplaying. They are characters that may well, you know, you you may well get Thor, uh, you may well get Wonder Woman uh, drawing on the Amazons or whatever, but it, it. you know, we're not in the level, say, of uh, Tolkien with his fantasy. Yeah, clearly drawing on on a deep knowledge of um, ancient literature, ancient myth, Christian myth, whatever, to amplify his his world. This none of these characters seem really to have any interest in that i mean it's it's about fights it's about costumes <laughs> yeah um and, and that's basically the the limit of it and and that's true whether it's um you know the most basic kind of uh wham bam kind of adam west type batman cartoon shows where it's played for laughs and it's camp or the kind of the the watchmen the dark the somber the kind of yeah. finnegan's wake version of comic book they're still not really interested in any of these kind of mythic antecedents i think there's a, they're think interested in 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 america yeah 20th century on. america but hold I on think. okay they're interested in 20th century they're born in 20th century america and particularly in the 1930s and we'll come to that in a second but for example ian b who's one of our athelstan members of the uh of the rest is history club he asked a question on the discord chat and he says there's a compelling argument that sherlock holmes is the original superhero do you agree? Or he asks about other figures from history who lay the groundwork, Achilles, Alexander, King Arthur, Robin Hood. I would say um, there is some slight lineage, uh, some very faint lineage from Robin Hood, the folk hero, the outlaw, who who wears a mask and has a hideout and has sidekicks. Yeah. Um, I, I think Sherlock Holmes, Tom, we talked about Sherlock Holmes as a superhero in our last, in our Sherlock Holmes podcast. Well, we know that. Uh, and I know that from having read Grant Morrison's book, that um, the guys who uh, 
invent Batman say that he has the athleticism of D'Artagnan. So one mm-hmm. of the, the, you know, confusingly, he's the fourth musketeer in the, th- the three musketeers. Yes. Um, and the brain power of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So that's a conscious, um, absolutely so Sherlock, kind of. Sherlock Holmes is definitely in the air when they're writing these things. In the well, and what I'd also say, what I'd also say is that, um, I mean, we talked about this on the Sherlock Holmes episode that, that London is one, you know, is a character in Sherlock Holmes. In a yeah. sense, people's understanding of London is still shaped by that. And I would say that, uh, Batman's Gotham City yeah. well, has an call, analogous role. People that, call New York Gotham, don't they? I mean, they yes. use, the, they use the, the words almost interchangeably. But right the way through, you know, all the way that, that Batman's being portrayed, New York Gotham, is a character in the way that London yeah. is a character in the Sherlock Holmes story. That's, so I, I think, think that's, that's very parallel. true. I think that's absolutely right. But I think there are two other characters actually that are worth mentioning um, that that are definitely there when the superhero creators are working in the late 1930s. One of them, very unexpected actually to some listeners, is the Scarlet Pimpernel. And and actually lots of comic book historians say the Scarlet mm. Pimpernel is massive. Yeah, tell us about yeah, that. Scarlet Pimpernel was created initially in a play by Baroness Auxy in 1903 and then the book in 1905. So the Scarlet Pimpernel is set in the French Revolution. Um, he rescues French. He's, he's, he's masked. He's incredibly swashbuckling. He's like a musketeer. He rescues French aristocrats from the guillotine. But the interesting thing there and what makes him clearly an antecedent of later characters, Clark Kent and Peter Parker and so on, is that he has a, he has a dual identity. So one is the Scarlet Pimpernel, the superhero, and the other is this foppish, effeminate yeah. weed called Sir Percy Blakeney. And he plays up to that part, just like Bruce Wayne does, or just like yeah. Clark Kent does. He plays the weed to disguise the French um, about his real identity. And and I think most comic book historians say, you know, Scarlet Pimpernel is huge in the culture of the 1910s and 1920s. They would all have been aware of it. And the other character who he perhaps partly inspires is Zorro. Yes, who was also masked. Yeah, and we, I mean, Zorro was very familiar to us, I would imagine, when we grew up. But I think mm-hmm. he's kind of forgotten now, isn't he? Do you think kids now know who Zorro is? There was a sure film, wasn't there? There was a film recent. Um, yeah, but that's 25 years ago. ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems recent to us, but yeah, not. Yeah, I agree. I, yes. I, I, I... So he's a he's the same thing. He's a mar- he, Now, he really is a masked vigilante that he's created in 1919. He has that dual identity. So he's Don Diego de la Vega, but he's also Zorro. He has the car, the Z symbol that he kind of carves into things and stuff with his sword, which is very sort of like the bat symbol or whatever. So I think though they're clearly in the ether well, in the thirties. But but also, I mean, super villains. So I would say Fantomas. Yeah. Um, who this super criminal who haunts Paris rather yeah. in the way that um the Joker and Penguin come to, to haunt Gotham. Fu Manchu, City. I suppose, is a bit and of a Fu Manchu, absolutely. Yeah. Um and this is the kind of intersection point between, I guess, kind of Bond and superheroes. Yeah. Is is this idea of global conspiracies. Um, yes, but but whereas the the, the Bond ones are, uh, however, baroquely kind of grounded in contemporary geopolitics, um, and I know that that Superman and, and Batman do take on Hitler in in the um, in the war. Essentially, the, the the villains are completely abstracted from contemporary politics. Yeah, they. I mean, are. I, Although, I, I, well, I know. Well, I know that so, Superman at first though is a bit more. A bit more grounded, I would say. Um, well, it comes. It, I mean, in more recent ones, I know that yes, it's, right. it is more rooted. But I think, I think, kind of, you know, through the the forties, fifties, sixties, these are. Uh, I mean, it's not. It's. Well, it's for children. 
Well, let's start with um, Superman, because Superman's the first canonical superhero, isn't he, I suppose? He's born in 1938, middle of 1938, and he's and what makes him emblematic of the sort of story generally is like so many of these, so many of these superheroes, they're created by um, by Jewish writers and illustrators who are who are themselves kind of dual identity because they've changed their names often. Right, which is I think another reason for not thinking that this is necessarily Christian, because people so often say about Superman, isn't he? He, he I mean, he. He comes from Krypton, which dies, and he's reborn, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I mean that's. But some writers have I, said he, that's it's the story of Moses in the bulrushes or whatever. So I think there are elements, perhaps, of that. Um, yeah. As as there comes to be with with um, with Spider Man as well, that perhaps there are echoes of kind of biblical prophets who, yeah. who are called to to save their people. But I think that I really, really think it's, it's this should not be overdone. I mean, okay. these are these are basically. It seems to me, fantasies about. Well, so there's a question here from Tom McTague, a very distinguished political journalist for the Atlantic. Are superheroes essentially right-wing conservative, as they are romantic fantasies of individual heroism, restoring honor and justice to a decadent world? And that does seem to me, basically, to be what they're about. You think that's what? But I don't. See, I don't think. That, I, th- because, I think they're because cowboys. I think they're sheriffs cleaning up the town. Let's take Superman. Superman is. Cre- emerges in action comics number one in uh it's actually in the spring throwing a car isn't he he's 38 throwing, throwing a car, a car at someone the, the issue's dated june but he appears in the spring he's the product of two guys they're very young and they're jerry siegel and joe schuster they have met at high school um jewish background actually sort of so many of these people have got like ashkenazi eastern european jewish roots they've changed their names and they're frozen out of kind of new york publishing aren't they Is right that right that, yes so and they... that's actually the case of almost all these people that they have struggled in some way their comic books are seen as déclassé. they are but they, they are... go into writing comic books because that's essentially the only way that they can exactly get paid for writing exactly so they create superman and superman it's 1938, so America is still actually really in the grip of the Great Depression, late, later than Britain is. So um, it's it's politically very febrile. Um, the, the, the Superman character, the costume, um, it hadn't occurred to me until I sort of read up on this, that he's based on circus strongmen. Yes, that's why he wears his pants outside. The pants and the tights, yeah. I mean, which seems so laughable to us today, at the time was seen as emblematic of great of strength. strength masculinity yeah. yeah absolutely not at all ridiculous um because well, a bit ridiculous is a big fan of strong men and fitness culture. i mean it is a bit ridiculous i mean it is a kind of showmanship i mean yes you go i suppose to a circus so. knowing that so. you're, you're seeing something that's not real but do they see that do they see that I in the 30s so. do they see that same eyes i don't think they see it quite the same eyes as we well maybe but to a degree i think but at the beginning, Superman has this sort of social activist side. So he's taking on crooked businessmen, crooked financiers, people who are exploiting the poor. There's a definite kind of liberal New yeah. Deal politics. Yeah, to but, it. but but it's also, I mean, why do why do you have to rely on a Superman to do that for you? Why can't well, you rely okay, on, enough, yeah. on the police? On, why can't on, you rely on, 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 on strong trade unions? Is that on, what you're on strong trade unions? Exactly. You have to, you know, you have to turn to a, this kind of big guy with with his pants on. <laughs> but there are two other political elements. One is that. Um, uh, the Clark Kent character, the character of the sort of downtrodden, nerdy guy who comes good, um, that's quite a theme in kind of interwar culture, the little man, people would call mm-hmm. it in Britain, the sort of the underrated, underestimated chap who actually triumphs over all those who've... I mean, that's also, you know, slightly Horatio Alger in America, the kind of the the the, 
the poor boy made good kind of thing. I mean, that's absolutely rooted in the culture of the time. And the other thing is that a lot of people who've written about comic books are, point out that super, Superman is, of course, an immigrant. You know, he's a newcomer. And these books... Because he's come comic, from Krypton. And these, well, I mean, okay, he's, some, he's got to come from somewhere. But these stories are written by people who are often, you know, second-generation immigrants themselves. So sure. it's the sort of assimilation into the American way yeah. of outsiders. Yeah. And that's there in the Superman story. Although, uh, in a way, Superman isn't assimilated, is he? I mean, that's the point. I mean, all these superheroes are, are, are not, in the long run, assimilated. And that becomes a theme. Yeah, right, the way up course. to the present day, you know, because... X-Men are mutants. Um, Batman's yeah. basically a kind of psychopath. I mean, all these people... The, and the more kind of sophisticated reworkings of these stories make play with the fact that actually there's <laughs> something slightly difficult about these <laughs> yes, they do. people You're in capes right. and cloaks kind of beating people up. Well, I think... So, 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 so Clark Kent and Superman is presumably a kind of embodiment of the schizophrenic quality... I suppose so. ...of an immigrant. yeah. Both belonging and not belonging, I suppose. And that's also true. This, I mean, it's almost schizophrenic. I mean, Batman. So Batman is created, what, a year later? Um, Bob Kane, who's actually, an, you know, Robert Kahn, another Ashkenazi Jewish writer. Bob Kane and Bill Finger. So that's Detective Comics in March 1939. Now, Batman is slightly different because he's... he's he doesn't have a superpower, does he? No. So he really is the Scarlet Pimpernel in Gotham City. He is a rich feckless aristocrat or somebody who appears to be that i.e. bruce wayne and and the even the christopher nolan films have that element to them um, his parents have been killed by muggers right and deter becomes a vigilante um so obviously that's kind of you can see that as reflecting anxieties about crime and, and all that sort of stuff and, and a people huge have, question yeah why does he dress up as a bat well, there's people have sort of talked. There's been lots of <laughs> arguments about this because what's interesting with all these characters is there's always subsequent rows between the writer and the illustrator about who the real inventor is. Yes. There's a claim, isn't there, that they got the inspiration for the bat wings from Leonardo da Vinci? Yes, you see that? Ornithopter, yes, flying machine. Um, yeah. But do you know why he's called Bruce Wayne? Uh, no. So his 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 name says Bill Finger, the writer. Bruce Wayne's first name came from Robert the Bruce. Oh, he's uh, Scottish. Uh, and he then thought um, he wanted a name that reminded Americans of colonialism. He tried Adams, Hancock, sort of founding fathers, U.S. and War of Independence figures. And then I thought of Mad Anthony Wayne, who apparently I'd never heard of him, actually. He's a general in the American U.S. War of Independence. And he gives him that name. So hence, oh, there you go. I had no Bruce idea. Wayne. It's a great podcast this is. I'm learning Batman, every day. Batman is, well, we're both learning. We're learning all the time, Tom. Yeah. Well, I think what I learned, uh, and this, I did think this was amazing, and it's a, a slight problem because this is a podcast. Um, but the the Joker, yeah, uh, Batman's long running adversary, um, the look of him apparently came from this 1928 silent film, The Man Who Laughs, yeah, Conrad, featuring a guy yeah. Conrad Veidt. Had you yes. seen that before? So I looked it up, and it's. I mean, I don't know how they got away with it. It's exactly the same. It is exactly, but that's how all of these comic books work these yeah, days. Yeah. I mean, they're seen as very kind of lowbrow kids' entertainment. So obviously, they're ripping off things left, right, and center. And that's, and of course, they get away with it because what they, no one thinks at the time they're creating franchises that will last the 21st century. They just think this is disposable pulp fiction that will be, you know, almost instantly forgotten. So you have all these, have you, I believe you have a, uh, do you not have a, some sort of list of amusing, characters who didn't <laughs> i do i do because of course um 
uh, Superman and Batman, very successful uh, and presumably turbocharged by the war, right? Yeah, I think so. So I they think so. they're fighting Captain Hitler, America, and Captain they America, of course, fighting ultra patriotic and, and everything. Um, and so through the war, the the war years, you have this vast explosion of um, uh, superheroes, and um, so there were there were some that didn't make it. So this kind of Darwinian uh, struggle for superheroes to make it through. So there was there was Madame Fatal. That's a good who name. Was, who was actually Richard Stanton, a retired actor who fought crime disguised as an old lady. Okay, that wasn't. I can, I can see why that didn't work out. Um, uh, this this is one uh, mentioned by Capel Loft, who is obviously trying to suck up to us after. So his, formerly a friend of the show, then kind of a. He, well, he he set up a rival World Cup of Kings he did and Queens, set up, but now he's really he's, he's, no, now he's, he's changed his ways. He has. He's reformed, um, <laughs> and he he nominated the Deacon, who is a reformed Deacon. burglar. <laughs> Who, who fights crime disguised as a Church of England clergyman? I can't, I can't understand why, why that hasn't caught on. Why don't why, they make films why is about there him? <laughs> Marvel all over. Why that. isn't Tom Holland um, playing the Deacon? That's the, my question. There's the gay ghost. The gay. What's the gay ghost do? The gay ghost is uh, an 18th century nobleman in Ireland who's a ghost. Right. Okay, um, and that's and a superpower. He's a, he's a. Okay, I can kind of see. Yeah, uh, super. There's a super villain called the Sportsmaster, (laughs) whose villainy consists of throwing sports kit at people. (laughs) Well, like kind of a cricket box, or like exactly (laughs) some cones. Exactly. Or I was kind of thinking, you know, those things that you jump over in in nineteen fifties gyms, sort of hurdles, yeah, and medicine balls and things like that. But, (laughs) But I mean, quite. I would find that terrifying, actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, how do, how do you go around being, you know, robbing banks or whatever, lugging a great bag full of sports kit <laughs> just in case you're attacked? I <laughs> say so you can kind of see why that one didn't work out. Yeah. Anyway. Um, that's terrible. There's a fellow who's got a lot of bees. No, there's no, a man who's got lots of bees <laughs> hidden in his belt. And he releases them. I can't remember what he's called, yeah. the red bee or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's all it's all very... Um, but somebody who uh, could it have has been... nothing. You know, this has nothing to do with with the ancient <laughs> no, antecedents or. Um, well, no, but it's history, isn't it? Because I mean, it's we're, we're it's the culture yeah. of the nineteen thirties and forties, and actually, it, it, it is. But what I'm saying is that this is not drawing on deep rooted. It's not uh, cultural not. memories. But, of, okay, um, uh, here's a character for you, Tom, that does deep, deep drawn deep rooted memories, i.e., the myth of the Amazons. So all the characters uh, we talked yes. about have been Wonder men. Woman. Wonder Woman. <laughs> so. Wonder Woman yeah. is, uh, she arrives. So we've had Superman 38, Batman 39, Wonder Woman comes along in 1941. Um, and she is Princess Diana of the Amazons of, of Themyscira, which is an island inhabited by Amazons. She's the daughter of Queen, of Queen Hippolyta. Hippolyta. Yeah. Yes. So she has a very impressive kind of ancient world pedigree, doesn't she? <laughs> she, she, she does, but she, she is, you know, this is still Mr. Ben. Um, right, because actually, what, what Wonder Woman is drawing on is not deep memories of, is... of, of ancient Greece, yeah. but the the fantasies of a guy called William Moulton Marston, who's who was a professor of psychology. Um, well, he sa- he said to be the inventor of the lie detector, isn't he? But apparently, he ripped it off from his his wife. His wife invented it, and he then kind of passed it off. Well, this is an extraordinary story. So he's. He's like a Harvard-educated psychologist who, who's, who, who's credited, not least by himself, with having invented the polygraph and, and doing all this. But he lied. Which is personality test, well, ironically. Hilarious thing. Um, all these personality tests. So he is married to another psychologist called Elizabeth, 
but they live with they have a kind of they have it's a, not a even it's not like, yeah they have uh, a, there are three of them in it they really are three of them in this marriage yeah and they're always tying each other up olive burnt and they all they're always doing bondage with each other and stuff and and so um a wonder woman of course has her magic lasso yeah which and he's, um, she's always but, tying people up but more germanely wonder woman herself is always being chained bound gagged um and, and, he's, and he's and completely the more he upfront them, about this isn't he well no but the more he writes them the more <laughs> the more the bondage comes in exactly so there's this great line at, at one point wonder woman actually cries out great girdle of aphrodite i'm so tired of being tied up but you know she isn't really you know she loves it he he's utterly upfront about it so he's fascinated by comic books he thinks they're the way to he's they're they're very kind of idealistic kind of highbrow people marston and and marston and burn or whatever they're called and he says he says himself, Wonder Woman is psychological propaganda for the new type of woman who I believe should rule the world. Mm. He says too many girls lack force, strength, and power. He wants to the rem- the obvious remedy is to create a feminine character with all the strength of Superman plus all the allure of a good and beautiful woman. Well, he th- he, but he thinks that there is strength in submission. So there's yes. an amazing plot where Wonder Woman rescues um, a, a group of women who've been enslaved by an evil Nazi um, and the Nazi gets defeated. But the twist is, is that, that the girls who's been rescued then miss being slaves. So Wonder Woman <laughs> sends them off to, to, to the Amazons where they can all live happily as slaves. It's very strange. There's another quote from him here. The only hope for peace is to teach people who are full of pep and unbound force to enjoy being bound. Only when the control of self by others is more pleasant than the unbound assertion of self can we hope for a stable, peaceful human society. And the risks, the risk, the risk of of women not being allowed to express this um, is conveyed through the character of Doctor Poison. Have you tell me about Doctor Poison? No. So, so Doctor Poison is is an an evil supervillain who loves humiliating women, uh, confronts Wonder Woman, and amazingly is revealed to be a woman. Golly, that's whose love of submission has been frustrated and therefore has corrupted her into becoming this evil figure. Yeah. So you so can see why waters, uh, there aren't deep waters. And obviously in the 1950s, there was this tremendous backlash, wasn't there? <laughs> yes, um, you can kind of see this, why. And there's this guy who's himself a kind of a psychiatrist, I think, called Frederick Wortham, who writes a book called The Seduction of the Innocent, published in 1954, which causes this tremendous stir. It's taken up by congressional hearings and stuff, where he basically says comic books and superhero stories are corrupting youth. He says at one point, kids who read Superman won't listen to their parents or teachers because their parents and teachers will seem so weak and bland by comparison. Ergo, we should stamp out Superman. But, I mean, that's that's the kind of the equivalent of saying that we can't allow um, vigilantes and sheriffs to kind of shoot people in the Wild West. (laughs) <laughs> and that exactly that exactly proves my point. Well, I mean, he the interesting thing is he's loathed and hated by comic book enthusiasts because they see him as having. Stopping but but obviously, what he some of the things that he identifies, so he identifies the bondage, and he does ident- identify what some people might see as a slightly fascistic, or what you clearly see as a slightly fascistic element to superhero stories. So the idea of a Superman, somebody with powers who takes the law into their own hands. Wortham says in 1954, yeah, I, all this stuff is terrible. And I guess some people today well, will probably I, agree with him. I, I, well, I, I mean, I think that that's what's interesting about the, the turn that public morality has taken, which is that actually 
it's a reprise of quite a lot of perspectives in the 50s. So now, you know, in the, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, brilliant, bondage, woohoo. Now yeah. it's it's seen as more problematic again. Or is it? Uh, you know, well, the, the, these, these are, I, and I guess that that's why superheroes are interesting, is that they do hold a mirror up to, because they're an incredibly democratic, incredibly popular form. They do hold up a, a really, really fascinating mirror to the the way that neuroses and cultural anxieties and morality panics and virtue spirals operate in the United States over over the past what century yeah. basically. And you say the United States because they are it's interesting they are really there have of course been attempts to have there been Brit there was Captain Britain and so on but they are really specifically American aren't they? And I think that's why I was never interested in them particularly because you um, you hate you Americanophobic. No, it's just it's just. Bit, they, I, they just seem very, very foreign to me. So I, I, I guess I, I mean I had no problem reading Asterix. I loved Asterix and Tintin. They they seem kind of part of the world that I, I inhabited. But these, you know, square jawed men with trilbies in yeah. mean streets. I mean, it was a long way from Wiltshire. Well, this is your Ted Heathism, isn't it? Ted Heath would yeah, agree maybe, with you. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would maybe. see you as a great. Uh, you know, when maybe. he was taking Britain into Europe, you as a fellow Wiltshire enthusiast. But I think the other were, reason why the other and this kind of opens up. Maybe the next stage, I'll, I'll just say this before we go to the break, is that um, rather like I never took James Bond seriously because I grew up with um, Roger Moore as James Bond. So also, basically, my introduction to superheroes was um, Adam West and Burt Ward as Batman and Robin, which was yeah. played almost entirely for laughs. Well, completely for laughs. Um, <laughs> so, so um, you know, the, the, the bat shark repellent gas and... <laughs> So and also just, the, I, the pow wham kind of stuff that yes, appears on screen. Exactly. And the villains. So Vincent Price's egghead. Uh, there was the professor who kept turning into Tutankhamun. I love that. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, Cesar Romero as the Joker who refused to shave his moustache. So they, they painted so over they it, didn't they? painted over it. And I was watching some of the footage. I hadn't thought about it for years and years, but it was still held up. A routine question. Have you recently sold any war surplus submarines? And if so... To whom? And it's actually it's Leslie Nielsen. It's it's the Naked Gun. Yeah, um, I can see that. And it, I think you know it's uh, that's basically why I've never been able to take it seriously. Well, let's hope you take it seriously in the second half because we will, of course, be coming to your own favourite superhero. Ah, uh, yes, Spider Man, Spidey. We'll see you after the break. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. So, Dominic, before we get back to superheroes, uh, it is time to talk about Unheard, our favourite online magazine. Um, yes. And uh, regular listeners uh, will remember that a couple of weeks ago you were talking about um, an article that you, you had in the works. And I asked you to say what it was and you were being very coy about it. Uh, but it's now, yeah. well, it's now come out, hasn't it? And, and what it was has. it about? It was all about. So it's the 20th anniversary of the release of The Fellowship of the Ring, the first uh, Gerard Peter Tolkien. Jackson. Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson film. And Who then um, went on to do better things. Peter Jackson. Back. It's not better than the Lord of the Rings. No, it's very similar. Are you mad? Are you mad? Of, group of friends overcoming <laughs> danger and t- tribulation to achieve great uh, things. Yeah, so it's the 20th anniversary of the Lord of the Rings, and they said, do you have anything to say about the Lord of the Rings films? Or the Lord, well, really, the Tolkien phenomenon. And um, I always have things to say about Tolkien, as you know. Um, and the people at Unheard were very kind enough to indulge me. But you're cross because you think I didn't mention, you know, I didn't want to come onto your turf. I didn't mention I'm Christianity. Not, I, I wasn't cross. I thought it was a wonderful essay, uh, as I'd expect, because you're always wonderful on Tolkien. I just felt that um, if you're talking about Tolkien's inspirations, you, you might have mentioned Christianity. But, uh, but, I didn't, I didn't, but that's something I mean, for maybe a, a future <laughs> A future episode for us. A future article for you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, on the topic of, of uh, Christianity, um, Unheard are launching a Christmas special offer to celebrate. Oh, that's nice. The birth of the baby Jesus. So that's so great. it could be a present for yes. somebody. So you can gift Unheard membership to a friend or family member for Christmas. I can't believe you're using the word gift as a verb. Uh, I just did, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. did you? Do you do you do that normally? Uh, I, I I started doing it in the um at the the London Olympics where people podiumed and medaled. Oh, meddling! Uh, and yeah. I, I it's yeah. You're I very into verbing. Even, yeah, verbing. Um, anyway, uh, you're distracting me from what I meant to be reading, which is if you know someone who could do with confronting some different perspectives. Do you, Dominic? Do you know someone who could do with confronting some different perspectives? Yeah, I do. Actually, I know loads of people. Well, in that case, unheard <laughs> membership could be for them. 
It says it, they should ben- they could benefit from questioning some of their certainties. Yes. Yeah, I do. I know a lot of people like that. All academics. <laughs> that's that's your Christmas gift lid sorted then. Yeah. Uh, and there's a special offer which brings an annual subscription down £10 to only £39. And there's an unheard bag with this fabulous label on it, immune to herd mentality. Yeah, it's again, it's again, it's that double-edged thing, though, isn't it? Because if too many people carry that bag, I know. Imagine they might look like imagine a herd. Well, like a herd. <laughs> they would. That's what worries me. I'm always worried with unheard whether somebody will set up a rival website called Herd <laughs> if unheard becomes <laughs> become too successful. But clearly, clearly, we're not at that stage yet. I mean, people should definitely visit unheard.com to find out more, but do so quickly before the herd yeah. arrives. Yeah. Okay, and now back to superheroes. The most popular Marvel hero is much lower on the social scale. He is the maladjusted adolescent Spider-Man, the only overtly neurotic superhero I've ever come across. Spider-Man has a terrible identity problem, a marked inferiority complex and a fear of women. He is antisocial, castration-ridden, racked with Oedipal guilt and accident-prone. How can a character as healthy as Superman compete with this living symbol of the modern dilemma, this neurotics, neurotic Spider-Man, the super anti-hero of our time? Now, Tom, that was the village voice in 1965. Do you want to stand up for your alter ego? (laughs) I, I, I hadn't realized it. I I hadn't realized that that's who I was. It's just uncanny, isn't it? It's uncanny. It's, 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 it's eerie. The, the stuff about castration, for example, I mean, <laughs> the wow. number of times you brought that up on the podcast wow. and the village wow. voice were on your case. Yeah, that's oh, amazing. My. So, Although, as someone said, I mean, Peter Parker was also, he was chairman of British Rail, wasn't he, in like, the 70s? So <laughs> he was, went out with Shirley get... Williams. Shirley Williams had a crush on uh, Peter Parker when they were at uh, Oxford. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so um, we're now coming. So the stuff that we're talking about in the first half is known by comic book enthusiasts as the Golden Age. Of comics and of I thought it was also the Silver Age. Uh, Isn't <laughs> no, no, no. I think this no, is the, according to Grant Morrison, I the Golden th- Age is yeah. the, is the Second World War. Yeah, we're about to the, talk about the Silver Age, and then the Silver Age is the nineteen fifties. So what's the what's when, when Superman when Superman was drawn by an artist called Wayne Boring? I knew you wanted to mention Wayne. Yeah, Boring. I did. I did. That's um, funny. Uh, I think the Silver Age goes into the sixties. And um, that's where, so that's where you get the it's second. Like debates over the Renaissance, isn't it? it is. When does it begin? When does it end? I mean, there's these crazy rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, the so long I mean, 19th I've, century. I've spent hours on <laughs> on the internet, just getting deeper and deeper, totally out of my depth on the difference. You know, so there's two different Captain Marvels, one belonging to DC and one to Marvel. Very really? confusingly. So anyway. tell me about DC and Marvel. I don't, I don't understand this. So they're just rival companies. It's very simple. And they're rival companies and they're both associated with slight, really, they they with slightly different eras. So they've always been, they've had different names. So DC is, is the classic ones. So Batman DC is is, is Superman. Batman, Superman, and so on. Marvel's heyday comes in the so-called <laughs> Silver Age. And what they, they have Stan Lee and a guy called Jack Kirby and a guy called Steve Ditko. Again, of all of them, you know, we've got Jewish backgrounds, um, so dual identities, New York, based in New York. And this is the, the one that's a coherent world. Yes. And what they right. do, which is brilliant, is that they, they unlike DC, realise that they have to adjust to a new, a completely new kind of generational tone in the early 1960s. They do it first with a team called the Fantastic Four. My son loves, absolutely adores the Fantastic Four. 
The Fantastic Four starts in 1961. Mr. Fantastic, The Invisible Woman, The Human Torch and The Thing. And they're a kind of family group. It's very space age, unlike... So the, the earlier ones, Batman and so on, feel very 1930s. These guys are, are astronauts. They are fighting the communists. They want to get into space. They, and experiment this, goes against, wrong. this is against the backdrop of... of- uh, Kennedy, Kennedy, space race, exactly. All so that scientists, stuff. because in the in the early ones, scientists are kind of villains. Yeah, and they're always. Um, Whereas now, almost all the Marvel heroes of the sixties, science has has gone wrong in some way, but science is also their friend and their weapon. Um, and actually, mm-hmm. there's a the U.S. State Department supposedly had said to publishers, "We want you to push science. We want you to embrace science," because they were, you know, right. they they. That obviously mattered in the context of the technological competition with the Soviet Union. And so, Spider-Man gets bitten by a radioactive spider, right? Exactly. I know, I know this from so the, the Fantastic Four are terribly successful, and they're this are scientific and they and they also bicker among themselves. They're a sort of realist, not realistic, but you know what I mean. They're slightly more naturalistic <laughs> the thing. kind of family group. Now, Spider-Man takes Peter Parker, who would normally have been a sidekick by Robin. And it places him centre stage with no mentor, so he's a teenager. It's the first one where the teenager. But doesn't isn't his mentor? Uh, what's his name? Uncle Ben. No. Uh, the guy who dresses up in metal. Iron Man. Iron Man <laughs> dresses up in metal. Um, <laughs> it's like listening to my dad describing Star Wars. Or I something. know. I know. I know. Um, Implausible. There are two metal men. I think. That, um, <laughs> Robert right. Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. He is in the films, but I don't think he is in the comic books. Too. Is he not? Or at okay. least not early on in the first. Okay. But one of the interesting details I, I enjoyed reading in Grant Morrison's book was that um, Peter Parker apparently designed his Spider-Man outfit to look good on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. so Which is what the Beatles then appeared on. Of course. Yeah. So spiders, Beatles. So the so Peter Parker is very much rooted in the world of the 1960s. He's a high school. Later on, when he goes to university, some of his classmates are involved in demos and student protests and things. And so that's why it matters that, that the other Tom Holland yeah. looks young. It has to look young. You can't have an old. But the other ones didn't, did they? Uh, they did. Toby Maguire, Andrew Garfield. And... They were a tiny bit older. Tom Holland's probably the youngest. Tom Holland. I mean, you are Tom Holland. Um, <laughs> he's probably the youngest. Uh, and, and the most firmly rooted in the kind of high school, mm. um, okay. high school stuff. And of course, you know who says, um, with great power comes with great responsibility, Tom? Uh, Spider-Man. No. Don't know. Nobody says it. Don't they? The line is actually, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. My son was very keen that I point this out on the podcast. Okay. And, and, that's, and actually, and that's, and that's it's Stan Lee. Stan Lee who says it. It's the narrator Stan, who Stan says Lee, it. the head of Marvel Comics, Stan Lee, just give them a lot of action and don't use too many words. Yeah. So they're quite kinetic. They're, they're sort of updated for the 60s. Um, okay. But Dominic, and then, convince me that this is of any interest at all. From a historical <laughs> point of view. I mean, it's all very interesting. Yes, whatever. But so what? Um, I think it. I think it's a huge part of American popular culture in the 1960s. It obviously. But so what's it telling us about America? What's it? What's, what's it revealing? What's it? What mirror is it showing up to the cultural neuroses of the age? I think what it is is that I mean, Spider-Man and Spider-Man and similar comics they wrestle with kind of social issues of the 60s and later in the 70s. So, for example, there's a character called Green Lantern. Uh, in 1970, they have issues all about drugs, all about the war on drugs and so on, and drug addiction and things. And you get Black Panther. Now, you, even you, with your, yes. um, with your, with your sort of, uh, Wankada your, or, is that right? Yeah. Um, 
Wakanda. Wakanda. I think Wakanda. I don't think it's called Wankada. No, it's called um, Even you, with your imperviousness to the fear of cancellation, you're not going to slag off Black Panther because Black Panther. I don't know anything about of, it. Uh, I don't know anything about it. A sort of touchstone for diversity in Hollywood. People are right. very excited about Black Panther, but Black Panther was started in 1966, and he's the first kind of really successful black superhero. And which came first, the Black Panthers or Black Panther? That's a really good question. So were know. the Black Panthers naming themselves after a, a superhero? I don't know. Maybe listeners, people should go onto the Discord chat and uh, No, I think you should us. look it up on Wikipedia right now. <laughs> right. Live research. <laughs> Live research. Okay, fine. Because I'll be honest, if, if the Black Panthers named themselves after a after, comic book... Then it will matter. I, 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 well, I'm going to think less of them. God, there's I'm, so much. There's so much tension lie. riding on this. Origins. But but then if if Black Panther is named after the Black Panthers, then that's yeah. I mean that's kind of quite quite edgy. So they name themselves in October 1966. They adopt the Black Panther logo in their own organisation, black uniforms and all that stuff. And when does the comic start? The tension, Tom. It's massive. This is so exciting. Have we ever done research live? <laughs> live on the research. July 1966. Black Panther comes first. The there character. You go. Then I think. Well, so I've been okay, utterly so vindicated. Tom now recognises that comic books do matter <laughs> enormously. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know whether they knew of the comic though. Were they reading the comics? It seems a bit of a coincidence. Yeah. Well, anyway, Black Panther now really matters. I mean, Black Panther is seen as probably more than anything that Hollywood has done in the last ten or twenty years. And you know, when as as a sort of as an embodiment of its newfound kind of pro- progressiveness. Um, so when the Black Panther film came out, it was nominated for Oscars and stuff. And it's absolutely seen of, as emblematic of a kind of new multiracial kind of popular culture. So, okay. so, well, that, that's great. so there you go. And also, Tom, actually, talking about comic books and superheroes as a mirror, they absolutely are a mirror. Because in the, in the 30s and 40s, you have... I know super, they are. That's what I was saying. You have that's Superman, what I, was trying to, I was trying to get you back on track. You have Superman-type kind of, heroes. Yeah, in the I, 60s, you have teenagers... Then in the 70s, they turn inwards and a lot of characters start getting killed off. And then in the 80s, you have this whole new kind of wave. So, so go on. Tim Burton, the Tim Burton film. No, before that, before that, before that. So what's so happening yeah. in the 80s? So there's a guy called Frank Miller, who you will know because of 300. Oh, I do know Frank Miller. Yeah, so The Dark Knight Returns. The Dark Knight Returns. And now you have an older Batman. It's much more aggressive. It is much more, I mean, Frank Miller is kind of a libertarian, isn't he? Very conservative. Um, it's it's much more incredibly violent, and the Dark Knight ref- Returns, and, and you must like this. Is um, it's in America where Reagan is, is about president. kind of one hundred and twenty. Yes, exactly. Where Reagan is president, and the life, same thing in um, uh, Watchmen, which I'm sure we'll come to in a minute, where exactly. Nixon is yeah. still in power. Yes, so there's a kind exactly. of weird really- thing going on. Weird thing going on where Republican presidents never retire. So what's yeah, going it's on a sort there? of paranoid imagination of comic book writers. Um, yeah. Comic book writers tend not to be you know, uh, sort of centrists, <laughs> steady as she goes, establishment centrists. They tend to be on the kind of, I, I, you would say, the ideological fringes of the left or right. Frank Miller on one so side, Alan Moore, the, the great British comic British. book writer. He's British, because quite a lot of these kind of edgy reworkings of, have of, British of American elements, standards have kind of, they're coming from British art schools, right? Absolutely, they, absolutely. So Alan Moore, who's from Northampton, he writes this absolutely classic comic book called Watchmen, uh, listed by Time magazine as one of the 100 best books of the 20th century. I've seen the film. 
Um, I had well, the, no the, idea what was the going on. The film is not as the comic book is is absolutely fantastic if you like comic books. And actually, there's a TV series that came out two years ago that won tons and tons of Emmys and was absolutely brilliant because what the TV so the comic book is basically saying slightly what if superheroes were real and what if they had carried on living? What would and they helped like? America to win the, the Vietnam War, didn't they? Yeah. What would it be like to be a costumed vigilante? With maybe with or without powers, and actually it also picks up because it has a, a superhero who basically becomes God um, mm. called Doctor Manhattan. He goes and lives on Mars. He has the power of life and death. He can kind of remake reality. As I mean, he it is, sees yeah, fit. it is, it, 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 but it's not as good as Kickass. I haven't seen Kickass. Oh, Kickass is great. Kickass um, is about a, a comic book fan who becomes a who dresses up as a superhero. But then what um, the TV series of Watchmen does, which I think is really interesting and again a very good mirror. So that came out about two years ago, and that took the Watchmen story a, a, a level further because it's it set it against the backdrop partly of the Tulsa race massacre in 1921. This great sort of terrible mm-hmm. moment well, in American kind of, history. They, uh, aerial attack, isn't it? Supposedly aerial attacks on a black yeah. quarter of Tulsa, the, then the most thriving black city in America. And um, and what the Watchmen TV series does is it points out the sort of similarity. I mean, master vigilantes. That's what the Ku Klux Klan are. They're masked vigilantes. Right. Um, so I'm right. So it is a right-wing fantasy. Well, I mean, that is what the, that series kind of plays with. Is that are, is, are they on the side of the poor and of justice and all that sort of stuff? Or yeah. are they kind of fascistic? Which is also what you see in the Christopher Nolan Batman films. Yeah. The, the, the Batman figure. So in the final film of the Christopher Nolan Batman films, The Dark Knight Rises, I think. That's the one with Heath Ledger? No. That's the middle one. So it's the one with Tom Hardy as Bane. Oh, where well, you can't hear a word he says. On his mask. Yes. I am Gotham's Reckoning. All that kind of stuff. So in that film, there are sort of Tale of Two Cities uh, quotations and, and stuff like yeah. that. There's a revolution in Gotham that Bane causes. And Batman is basically fighting on behalf of the forces Government. of order, the establishment, the rich. Because he's rich, of course, himself. That's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. So... That's sort of having some fun, I think, with the the politics of it. But actually, what's really interesting is that I think we've talked about this before with, with Bond. How in the twenty first century, you just can't do unironic, unself conscious, um, heroic superheroes anymore. They have to be conflicted. There has to be a traumatic backstory. Okay, they so why to... is that? Do we think? Um, well, I think there's. I, a... I mean, as, because, because obviously, one of the things that. That intervened. So we've got a question here from Sam Burroughs. In the wake of 9-11, yeah. recessions and pandemics, do you think the current obsession with superheroes is actually a product of nostalgia, a longing for a time in which things felt good? Presumably, if you know, if you're saying it's 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 impossible to have ironic, unironic superheroes anymore, that's not the case. I don't know. Is are the Marvel films nostalgia? I don't know, because they're appealing to people who are younger than us. So what are they being nostal- what are they nostalgic for? You know, my son, who is 10 in a few days, he and his friends all love the Marvel films, but that they don't like them out of nostalgia. I mean, they have no interest in being nostalgic. The, the X-Men the films 60s. that I saw, because my daughter got very into them briefly, um, were based around the, the there was the Bay of Pigs episode. Right. Oh, sorry, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. Um, and then there was one about an attempt to stop the Vietnam War. So, so that kind of very, was nostalgic. very rooted yeah. in, uh, and it's involved... Um, wolverine going back in time see i think there's a general retreat from heroism isn't there um and that they if you were being sort of if i was writing an essay about it for unheard i would sort oh, of going I might, against the herd mentality exactly i might well say that it was um 
a sort of loss of faith in in the West? I mean, is that too? Well, I I, I agree because you see the same thing with Westerns, which seem to me very analogous. Yeah, that it's about good guys cleaning up, uh, sorting out the bad. But you're not. You can't. You but don't. You can't. You can't have an unironic Western now. No, I mean, in all these and films, not, and you you talked about um, uh, Black Panther. I mean, is it not also tied up with uh, anxieties about white privilege? Of yeah, whom of I guess. Bruce Wayne would Bruce be. Bruce Wayne would be the absolute embodiment. So I really think because there's a Robert Patterson version of Batman that's coming out that looks very from the trailer it looked incredibly dark, um, and, and and actually that's been the trend since that the Dark Knight Returns Frank Miller stuff to so that Batman becomes more and more of a villain. I mean, there's that scene that you almost always get. You got it in the last Bond film. You get it in everything now. We're not so different, you and I. You know the villain talking yes. to the hero, and you're and you're like, oh, that's very profound. They're yeah. two sides of the same coin. But, but you see would, that. Wouldn't it be great to see you know the Adam West style? Pow, yeah, Zam. Well, actually, yeah, and the, and the hero saying, actually, we're very different. <laughs> yes. yeah. You're a villain. I'm, ta- <laughs> yeah. I'm taking you in, <laughs> exactly, Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, cuff him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there'd be a market for that. I th- well, I think that's probably the way to go, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> when the- I set up my studio. There'll be some sort That's of, there will be some sort of generational backlash, and there'll be a as there was in the seventies with the creation of Star Wars and the demand for kind of a clearer line between good and evil. Don't you think that'll come eventually? We'd have to say stay immersed in kind of cynicism forever, or do I don't we? Know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, cynicism, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's your power. <laughs> yes. so, Pessimism, yes, man. As multiple people actually have asked us this question: Which superhero do we suit best? Stephen Clark, for example. So, Tom, who, if you were a superhero, who would you be, or well, what I would your I'd probably be? The Deacon. You'd be the Deacon, or maybe the Sportsmaster. <laughs> yeah, because you're cricket. Like cricket bat, I just hurl. Yeah. Who do you think I would be? Uh, I think you'd be. Uh... Would you be the Incredible Hulk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do spend a lot of time getting angry. So, um, yeah. and I do go green when roused. So, yeah, maybe I'll take it. Yeah. Um, no, I yes. think I think I think I mean obviously I'd I'd be Thor. Would you? Why? Yeah. Brawny, good looking, You're... great with a hammer. I, I'm tempted to I do think... my impersonation of Anthony Hopkins throwing you out of Asgard, but I won't. Um... <laughs> I've no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, you don't. Right? Have we? Have I? Have I convinced you that superheroes matter? That they're historically yeah, I, interesting? I, yeah, I, I mean, I th- I think so uh, until you slightly went off piste in the '60s, and I don't think they really matter now. Well, that wasn't off piece. I think. I think they. I think, they, I think the, uh, the the their emergence, the early stuff. I think that's interesting. Yeah, you don't think the sixties stuff is interesting? Not particularly. No. Shocking. I think. No, it's, I, don't. I think. Uh, I think when people we did a whole episode about teenagers and Peter Parker is nothing if not a teenager. He's a teenager. Yeah, from but the so what? Of, I mean, it's like the monkeys. Would we do an episode on the monkey? I mean, it's basically the monkeys, isn't it? Well, I suppose it is a bit. But you, I mean, we did the monkeys in a kind of weird suit. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, but one, 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 one final question, which is, I, I think another reason why I'm quite actively hostile to the whole thing, yeah, is that I feel bullied by people wishing you happy birthday on Twitter no, under the impression that, that you're I, 17. I, I feel I feel bullied by the kind of juggernaut quality of this essentially special effects yeah. driven. I mean, I, I, the ones that I've seen. I'm I'm with Ridley Scott and Martin you know, Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. I, I I think they're stupid and dumb and 
I think that's too harsh. I think they are. Um, I think they but are. But I'm aware. But you know, but I'm 53. They're not. They're not uh, angry, I never was yeah. never interested in the first place. So so I'd be interested in your view on. I mean, they do seem to me expressive of a kind of um, new era of American cultural supremacy. So they yeah. seem to me the the um, the cinematic equivalent of the dominance of Google and Apple and um, these vast Amazon, these vast colossal edifices before which everyone else are just kind of tiny little. I think well, there's ants, a lot of truth spiders. In that. Dare I, I think say? There's, I, think um, a, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think they have sucked. It, I think they're extremely well made and they're very effective. I, I've actually never seen one without falling asleep because I find the narrative so formulaic that I, I actually find them quite boring. But I can't help noticing that all the nine and ten year olds, yeah, they particularly love boys, are my acquaintance, I love them. The one thing I will say is I think the air is seeping out of that balloon because I think their their box office returns have been dwindling a little bit in the last couple of years. Trounced by James Bond, I gather. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Uh, although it'd be interesting to see how Spider-Man does. I, you know, I hate yeah. my name. Are you going to go? Are you going to go and see it? I'm not. No. So Tom Holland is doing something else now, which is gutting for you, isn't he? What's he yeah, doing? He's doing Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. <laughs> he's a great dancer. Is I mean, he? you must have seen him. Um, have you Tom seen Holland. Him do the, yeah. When do the when famous I... thing where he where he he is Fred Astaire and then he turns into Rihanna? You must have seen that. No. What is that? Oh, it's brilliant. It's how he announced himself when he got when he got named as Spider-Man before the first Spy- Spider-Man film came out. Yeah. He went on this kind of dancerthon. Where you have to, you know, dance to well-known music. Yeah. And he first he comes on and he's Fred Astaire and he's got the umbrella and uh, the, it's raining. And then he goes off and he comes back on. And he's dressed as Rihanna and he does um, umbrella. It's absolutely brilliant. If you haven't okay. seen it, he's dressed as Rihanna. Yeah, he looks, isn't that he quite? Looks isn't that quite d- risky now? I mean, cultural appropriation and all that kind of stuff. No, he's non-binary. Is he? Uh, he's not you've made that two, up two spirits he's, or, well, it, it, <laughs> two no, it's, spirits. he's making play with gender stereotypes and is he and right yes it's you heard it here first from tom holland himself <laughs> that's <laughs> right. what it's all about and on that bombshell <laughs> i think, I think he, was, <laughs> he was obviously paying homage to madame fatal of course the, he was. Uh, retired actor who so fights crime disguised as an old lady it's goodbye from me the incredible hulk and it's goodbye from him the sportsman and we will see you <laughs> next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.